you have found the podcast of Tressler Mennonite Church. Each week, we replay the sermon from our Sunday morning service so that anyone who may have missed the sermon can catch it later. We want to especially thank those of you who missed the sermon because you were working with our youngest children during the service time. This sermon was from April 24th, 2022. The opening scripture was read by Joel Schrock, and the sermon text was Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that has raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. took a break last week as we celebrated Easter from our study. A couple weeks ago, Jerry was wrapping up chapter 2 of Philippians, and Paul had been commending. He was referring back to the church um, and had talked about Epaphroditus is where we had left off. And in verse 30, he had mentioned about Epaphroditus who had been sent by the church there to Paul to minister him to him. Remember, Paul is in chains, in prison, um, in this church that Paul had a close relationship with, had sent this man, Epaphroditus, to them to minister to him, and he has then sent him back. And he talks a little bit about uh, Epaphroditus here at the end of chapter 2. He says, hold men like him in high regard. He says that he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. And he's commending him. He is reminding them of just the dedication that Epaphroditus had had to the work of the gospel and to come into ministering to Paul. And he says to hold men like him in high regard. He jumps in then in verse 1 of of chapter 3 and says, whatever happens. Now, in the New American Standard, which I normally use more than the NLT, um, 
it was, it was kind of interesting. It, it says, finally, um, which some of you, if you're used to long-winded pastors, you'll hear a, a long-winded pastor say that somewhere in the middle, thinking they're about ready to wrap it up. They'll say in closing, and then they continue to preach. Um, we are just over halfway through this book, so maybe that's why the New Living Translation decided to just put it in there that uh, whatever happens, um, to not quite get you thinking that the book was almost over, or the letter was almost over, but it, it continues on there. Um, finally, whatever happens, he says, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And I want us to just think about that for a little bit. Again, this is not Paul writing this from a retirement home um, where he's sitting back enjoying his best life. He's writing this from prison. He's reminding them to rejoice. He's writing to them in the midst of uncertainty of where his life was headed. He did not know if he was going to be to die for the gospel. Uh, remember, he had talked about that. He said, whatever, you know, whatever it is that happens, I want to live. I want to continue to live on. Um, if it means that I continue here in this body, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to make my life about making Christ known. And if I die, I get to go be with Christ. He was torn. But this is, again, this is Paul calling the Philippians to rejoice, to have joy. There should be a joy about them, not because their circumstances were great, but because of, of the joy and the peace that they had in Christ, that they were that they could know him and they could serve him. Um, so he says to rejoice in the, in the Lord. And he says, I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Now, he says, it's no trouble for me. I don't get tired of it. It's not hard for me to do it. And he's going to go in here and he's going to remind them about some things that we just read a little bit ago, that if you've been with us for very long, if we, as we've worked through some of Paul's letters, this is a continual theme that comes up. Remember, there are the Judaizers, those that were had grown up um, in the Jewish faith, following the law, who had now become believers, or at least pretended to be a believer, some of them, um, they were constantly coming back in saying, okay, yes, we were following Jesus. Jesus was the Messiah, but we've got to add all these requirements that the law that they as Jews used to have to follow. And so there's torn of you have Gentile believers that are coming to faith. That is who Paul is warning them about. He continues to warn Throughout his different letters, he constantly seems to be coming back to this. It was a common problem for them, um, people that were wanting to add to the requirements of faith. They were adding to what Christ had done. Yes, it's about following It's about accepting Jesus as Messiah, but you also need to, and obviously the, the great theme of, of circumcision comes up again here um, for us this morning. It was a Jewish requirement that God had given them, but as believers, they were coming back and wanting to make these Gentiles also follow through all these different uh, regulations, and they were placing them on them. And he is saying, you've got to, he jumps in here, he, sa he says, it's a joy for me to remind you of these things, because was, he was passionate about it. He said, it's not a problem, it's not a trouble, it's not, he doesn't get tired of it. But he said, I'm going to continue to remind you of this, because it was so important to Paul. It says in verse 2, watch out for those dogs. Usually the Gentiles were the ones that were referred to as the dogs. Um, that's how the Jewish people looked down on them. They seen them as just, you know, they were not worthy to be around. They didn't want to associate with them. He says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Verse 3, for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ has done for us. That is what it means to be a follower of Christ. That is what it is to be a, a, a Christian, is that we are relying on what Christ has done for us. And through faith, we, we believe 
that his sacrifice was sufficient. That is what it means to be a, a Christian. He said it's not about all these other regulations and rules that have been placed on him. He says we rely on what Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. So it's not about what we can do to win our, our salvation. It's not about that. He says we put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. So remember Paul's background um, and what he come from. One person I was listening to said he's actually throwing out a little bit of Greek smack talk, if you will. Um, he's wanting to challenge these Judaizers. He's saying, if these people think that they have something that they can bring to you to say that you can't live up to this or you have to live up to this, I'm sorry, um, I can take them. Bring them on. I will head-to-head -head with them is what he's saying here. It's, it's Greek smack talk. Um, I'll take them on. I can do it because he goes on here to list a little bit of, of his background, of who he is. Verse 5 says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Um, he had nothing to do with that. So he is referring here even to the heritage that he had received. Um, at eight days old, you have no control over what happens to you or to your body. Like he is, he is pointing out the fact, I come from a godly lineage that was following God, that was doing what God had called them to do. He said, I was um, circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, something that he could take pride in, being God's chosen people, if you will. Um, he took pride in that. He was a, he goes on to say, and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. You'll remember, um, I was reminded as I looked at this, um, the tribe of Benjamin is where the first king of Israel was called from. It was a tribe that had a lot of social status, if you will. Like it was, he was very proud of that. Um, you remember his name before he met Christ was Saul. Perhaps there's even some connection there. That was the first king that was called, um, was Saul. That was his name. Like, he, he has the, the heritage. He has the lineage. He has the bloodline. Like, he has what it takes to be proud of. I mean, he, he can be proud of. And that's why he's saying, if these people think that they've got something, tell them to come on. Like, I'll take them on any day of the week. Um, I can line up, and he, he continues on here. So that's all things that he had no control over. You know, the fact that his parents had honored uh, what God had called them to do with their eight-year-old son, um, the, the bloodline that he came from, all of that. The social status that he had received. I mean, they were, they were just known for being the, the more wealthy of the tribes. They, were, they were, had received the favor, and just he was proud of that. A, a, from the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. And he goes on to talk, he said, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. And I was also reminded, you know, a lot of times we, we hear the story of Pharisee and we automatically think, this is a bad guy. Like we associate that with, and, and Jesus was super hard on them. Um, Paul is, is hard on, you know, their, the teachings and the way that they're demanding things um, of who they were because they rejected Christ. But if you stop and think about, they were completely devoted to studying God's word. Um, and Paul says, I mean, so if, if you wanted to follow God, if you were serious and passionate about following God's word, chances are you were a Pharisee. Like, we look down on, we hear the word Pharisee, and we think, you know, drug dealers, Pharisees, you throw them all. No, no these are people that were passionate about knowing and understanding God's word and applying it. Did they miss it? Yes, most of them did. But Paul is saying, I was a Pharisee. This is what his life was about. He was seriously passionate about understanding and knowing God. They memorized scripture 
like, continue here as we continue on. He says, um, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. He was passionate about what he believed and to a point that when these Christians started coming around, when, when Christ came, he believed that they were going against what God's word taught and he was passionate about it. He like, devoted his life to, to protecting what he believed God's word was saying. And he was missing it until he was struck blind, until he was struck down and faced in the front. But like that was his life. He was passionate about it. And like he was completely doing what he believed God was leading him to do. He said, I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. We, again, we look down on that and say, you know, he was a Pharisee, da 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 But when you stop and think about what this man had devoted his life to, um, he was serious about it, and it was he was passionate about it, and he loved, that is what he was all about, was following what he believed God was telling him to do. He said, I obeyed the law without fault. Can you imagine? I mean, there are some crazy laws. Um, we've talked about a couple of them, but to, to say, to be able to stand and say and to write, I followed them without fault. He was passionate. His life was devoted to following God's law. But he goes on there to say, I once thought these things were valuable. In the next few verses, Paul's going to look at where his value is placed. And he is referring back to these are at one point in his life, this is what he thought was valuable. His bloodline, the fact that he had devoted his life to following God, the fact that his, his heritage was, was godly, that his life had been in following Christ and following God. Sorry, not Christ up to that point. Um, that he was fearlessly defending God's word. That's what his life was about. And he was faultless in the way that he obeyed the law. He said, I once thought these things were valuable. He said, but now I consider them worthless. Like there is absolutely no value. So I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. So there's been a change in the currency, if you will. There's a, like he no longer sees this, his heritage, all of that as being valuable. He said, one time I thought they were valuable. And that's why he is, again, if you think back to what he's writing to these, these Christians here at Philippi, he's saying to them, these are things that I thought were valuable. And he's, he's warning them against these evildoers that are coming in and wanting to add to the gospel. And he said, I'm dealing with that, but like I thought at one time these things were valuable too. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. So Christ's work, as he realized that and experienced it in his life, he says, those things have absolutely no value. And again, these are good things that he was about. There was nothing wrong with having a godly heritage. There was nothing wrong with coming from a good bloodline. There was like, but he's realizing that absolutely means nothing. It's absolutely worthless compared to knowing Christ. Now that I know Christ, that absolutely has no value. Everything else is worthless when compared, or sorry, um, because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite or the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. Um, that word there, we tame it down for church, but um, if you could actually use the word dung. Um, was a word that would be translated. Like, that's what these things that he was referring to were. They were sewage. I mean, it's like, it's dirty diaper. It's whatever. Put that word in there. It's, yeah, we, it's garbage. It's not quite as bad. 
But like, that's what he compared these things that were good things. He compared it to knowing Christ. Those things are like garbage. It's like sewage. I could give you all kinds of stories being a plumber. I won't. Um, but like, that's what he, the, the things in his life that at one point were so valuable to him. That is what he chased after day in and day out. That is what his life is about. He invested his life completely in these things. He looks at them now and says, that is sewage. That's what it is. It's sewage. It's not because they were necessarily bad, but because of what he had experienced in Christ and knowing Christ. Knowing that, it changed the value of what he placed, of where he placed his value. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. It has nothing to do with the family that we're born into. It has nothing to do with the things that we do that we think make us feel okay with God. Like if I just do enough of this, if I come to church, if I do this, this, and this, and check a few things off our list, then I'm good. No, it has nothing to do with that. It is about having faith in Christ Jesus and the work that he has done. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Paul longs to know him even more. He's already realized that the things that I was chasing after were worthless, but I want to know him. I want to experience him. I want, that is what his life was about, was pursuing and knowing him. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. What Paul once thought was worth spending his life on, and he now realizes that in comparison to knowing Christ, those things are garbage. They are not worth wasting your life pursuing after and and rushing for. The things that he had placed so much value on, he is realizing at this point in his life that it was a waste. It would have been a waste of his life to continue to pursue those things. And he is challenging the church here at Philippi. Do not fall trapped. Don't give in. Look out for those dogs, if you will. Sorry to those that love dogs, but that's what he's, like, he's comparing, like, they're, they're, you've got to watch out for that. They're coming in, and, you know, perhaps the things have changed in our lives. We're not being pressure, uh, pressured to go back to the Jewish law and commandments here in our community, but what are the things that, that we've got to watch out for? There's areas in our life where we are, we believe that we need to chase after. Is it, you know, our career, our job, um, even our, our families? Paul is saying, compared to knowing Christ, these things are like rubbish. Again, it wasn't that these things were bad in and of themselves, but they had placed their value. That's where they put their value was in this. He's saying, no, when you begin to pursue Christ, when you begin to know Christ, when you want to know Christ, that is where you see the true value. Like that is where your heart begins to to pursue, and and you're willing to give up everything in order to, to know Christ. So ask yourself this, this question this morning. What are, what are you doing to know Christ more? What are you doing to, to know Christ more? Are you pursuing him? Do we have that kind of desire? Or have we listened to maybe the lies of some of those out there that we need to have A, B, and C to really fit in? Or we need to have a little bit more of this or a little more comfort? 
Paul's saying, no, I want to know Christ and I want to pursue him with my life. If it means that I die, then so be it. And knowing Christ, if I can be like him in his suffering, if I can endure suffering and be more like him, then it's worth it. If I don't make it out of this prison alive, it's worth it because I will be with Christ. But if more people come to know Christ, if I can know him and know what it is that he's doing, then it's worth it. Paul was completely willing to suffer so that he could know Christ more. He, again, could see things with the proper value of what was really valuable in his life. And it doesn't mean, again, if you stop and think about that, I know a lot of times when I hear verses like this, I think, well, what are you supposed to do? Like forsake your family? Forsake, you know, like because we're so passionate about serving Christ that the things don't matter here on earth? Like does it, you know, should we stop working? And But no, it's, it's having such a high value on what Christ has done that that is what drives us, that we can actually truly value and use the things that God has put in our, in our lives, our, our resources, um, our families, those relationships that we have. We actually, it places more value on them because they become resources that we can use to know God more and to show him to the world around us. Like it, it doesn't take away from those things. It adds to the value of them because we see them in the proper perspective. Our families, one of the greatest things that we can do to love our families is to pursue Christ more. I was reminded of, um, you know, the stories of the martyrs that were, were there and as the men are, are, and, and women were, were being killed at different times, but as the family members are there cheering them on, you know, don't give up, don't give up. We see that, we say, well, that don't make sense. Like, who's going to care for the family? They weren't concerned about that. They were concerned about knowing Christ and about making him known. And that's what led them to be willing to suffer and to see their, their loved ones suffer as they went through it. But just a picture of people that, that know the value of knowing Christ. They see it. They get it. So in our lives, what are we doing? What are we pursuing? What, what does our time go into? What things are we chasing after? Is it Christ? Or one day will we look back and say, you know what, those things were like sewage. It may not have been bad things, but like my, because of what I now know about Christ, the things I wasted my life on had absolutely no value. I spent so much time pursuing this, this, and this compared to knowing Christ. So the challenge is, is for us to continue to pursue him. What that looks like in your life is probably different for each and every one of us. I think a big one, though, is, is just like Paul was warning them to, to watch out for the lies that are out there that say, you need to do this, you need to do that. And we, we don't follow what Christ is calling us to do and who Christ is calling us to be. It seems like right now, if you follow the, the markets at all, if you watch the way houses are selling super quickly, um, I'm not a financial expert at all, but it's just, it, I keep waiting. I keep saying, like, something's going to give here one of these days. Like, the, the market is, seems to be overweighted. Like, people are just selling their houses just as quick as they can put them up. Um, I keep saying, like, something's going to, Something's going to crash, um, and we know it, it happens. It's happened before, um, whether it be a stock market crash, whatever it is, but where the value can very quickly change. It can go from being super high to, to being low, and I think sometimes that's what needs to happen in our lives. You know, we need God to step in and just say, you know, evaluate our lives and say, these things are, that you are chasing after with all your might, with all your strength, they are not worth what, the value that you are giving them. Will you seek after me? Will you seek and, and want to be who I'm calling you to be? 
for me, that was a challenge to, to think about in, in terms of what am I chasing after? What things do I value most? Is it Christ? And what, do I, what changes do I need to make in my life to make that a reality? You've been listening to the Tressler Mennonite Sermon from April 24th, 2022. The passage was Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Take care.